Good morning and happy December, everybody. Now, I don't know about you, but I still think we should be somewhere around February. I can't believe we're already coming to the end of the year, but December 4th, 2022, by God's grace, we've made it, and by God's grace, we're here together. I'm so glad to see you. My name is Josh. I am one of the ministers, and if we haven't met, I just want to tell you how thankful we are that you'd be with us today and joining us for our family time. I'd love to meet you after our gathering right here in the lobby, but whether you're here in person or online, welcome to our time together. Now, before we get into today's teaching, I'm going to ask you, uh, go ahead, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, that's in the Old Testament. He's called the Prince of Prophets. We'll talk about him maybe next year. We'll see, but we'll get into him here in just a moment. All right, so We are in part two of our teaching series for Christmas or Advent called Jesus Behind Everything. And we're looking at familiar traditions and how when you peel back the layers, you ultimately find Jesus underneath the actual traditions. Last week we looked at the tradition of the Christmas tree. By the way, show of hands, how many of you were here last Sunday for that message about the Christmas tree? Any of y'all? Yeah, okay, very good. So today we're going to look at another tradition that I would tell you is probably the most important tradition if you are a child. Now, before I put a picture up on screen, if you were thinking about all the traditions we do at Christmas, what one tradition do you think is most likely the most important to kids everywhere? What is it? Presents. By the way, go ahead and put this slide up. This is also the one that causes parents the most grief, headache, and cold night sweats, doesn't it? Especially when you get the credit card bill in January. Now, a little side note. These pictures of gifts are way too perfect. They, I, I did not write, uh, wrap those. Those are not my gifts. I'm the guy in high school who found the, uh, the Girl Scouts in the mall who were wrapping gifts. I went home, got all of my gifts, came back to the mall, had them wrap it. Come to find out, afterwards I got home with them. I'm like, look at this. Mom's like, wow, those are beautiful. How'd you do it? I told her, and she goes, you're only supposed to do it for the gifts you bought there. I said, oh, really? She goes, well, at least how much did you pay them? And I went, wait, what? So these are not mine. I didn't do this. But gifts. Give me a break. I was 18 years old. Gifts. It's one of the central pieces of what we do this time of year, isn't it? In fact, let me give you just a few stats. According to Gallup, the average American, meaning every one of you, will on average spend a little over $860. If you have four people in your family, multiply that by four. We spend a lot of money. On Black Friday this year, it was estimated that over the course of that week, Americans would spend over one trillion, that's with a T, dollars on purchases, many of which would end up underneath someone's Christmas tree. Retailers rely on Christmas to get out of the red and into the black. That's why we call it Black Friday. Here's a fun fact. One in ten people will return a gift this Christmas. So, show of hands. How many of you have ever returned a gift from Christmas? Any of you? All right. How many of you have re-gifted that gift for Christmas or some other time? Okay. Finally, how many of you have been caught re-gifting? No, don't. Okay. So we do this and we see it. It's a big business and it's a big deal. Let me give you one more. We don't just think about it. We don't just plan for it. We sing songs about giving gifts. Did you know that? We sing songs about gifts and giving gifts. We sing songs about gifts and giving gifts. Let me give you an example, and then I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor and see if you can come up with other songs about gifts or giving gifts. You say, well, what, like what, Josh? Here's the example. 
the 12 days of Christmas. Song about gifts and giving gifts. So take 10 seconds real quick. How many other songs about giving or receiving gifts can you think up? Real fast. Turn to someone and share. Okay? If you're feeling stumped, don't feel bad. The 930 was just like, we have no idea. So let me help you out. How many of you got some of these gift ideas or song ideas just now? I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Yeah. Any of you get this one? Show of hands. Okay. How about this next one? Oh. How many of you even know what this is? Yeah, some of you. Good, good. How about this next one? So now we're seducing Santa for gifts. That's really healthy. What about Little Drummer Boy? Getting gifts now to Jesus, correct? Or one of my favorites right here. We got a chorus over here. So now we're giving our heart away, right? And then the one we mentioned a moment ago. Five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a tree. But my favorite? I can't get you to sing songs about Jesus, but so gifts. We talk about it. We sing about it. Where did this weird tradition come from? So let me just peel back the layers. Let's go back a few hundred years. Oh, maybe maybe a little over 2,000 years. It goes actually to pre-Christian times. Pagans would give gifts at certain celebrations. For instance, the Greeks gave gifts honoring their god, Kronos. They would do this in late July, early August. And the Romans, a few centuries later, would give gag gifts. Yes, gag gifts or figurines during their festival celebrating their god of agriculture, Saturn. They would celebrate Saturn at Saturnalia, which was in late December. Isn't that interesting? Fast forward a few hundred years. Now, Christianity is the official religion in the Roman Empire. And some of the rulers, the leaders of Rome, who weren't really Christian, but they wore the name, wanted the rest of the citizens to take on the Christian persona to begin adopting its practices. So they began to do Christmas in place of Saturnalia or around the same time of year in December. But then Christians, they began to give and receive gifts, not to honor a pagan god, but to honor Jesus and remember the gifts given to Jesus by the wise men or the magi. In fact, fast forward a few years later, we begin to see giving as just a central part of the Christian ethic as well as during the Christmas season. And one of the most famous gift givers is a fourth century bishop, a Christian man from the city of Murrah, not America, but Mur- okay, we're Murrah. His name is Saint Nicholas. How many of you have heard of Saint Nicholas? Real guy. St. Nicholas was known for his extravagant generosity. In fact, one story, uh, you know, maybe legend, but we think there's some truth to it, is that he helped three young girls not have to go into prostitution. You say, how did that happen? Well, they were very poor. Their father could not afford their dowry, meaning the money for them to get married. 
And so secretly at night he would throw bags of gold coins through the window. Three nights, gold coins. Some of those, according to legend, landed inside of the stockings hanging by the chimney. That's where we get the tradition. Now, we go a little further. How many of you have ever given or received citrus fruit for Christmas? Like an orange, a tangerine, or any of those? Any of you? Where does that come from? Well, what does it look like? It's circular and it's golden colored. It reminds us of the gold coins given. So you see where some of these come from. Fast forward, and this becomes the mainstay tradition until giving is so central at Christmas that retailers are seeing it as good business until finally, in the United States in 1867, the first retail store to stay open until midnight was Macy's Department Store. And they stayed open when? On Christmas Eve. Why? Because husbands forget to get their wives gifts and they're trying to help us out. So this is the story of how it happens. Now, one more interesting fact, not on your screen. Did you know that every year, toy retailers will get together at an annual convention of toy retailers in New York City? At their peak, there would be about 35,000 of these guys landing in New York City, and they would begin to try to guess and figure out what is going to be the it toy for this year. Do you know when they get together to figure out the it toy for the year? In February. So this is a big business, and it's a big deal. You say, is this where it all began? The answer is yes and no. See, the story of generosity and giving goes much earlier than the pagans. If you go back in time another eight centuries from before Christ was born, you actually come to the verse that tells us where this idea of generosity and giving, especially at Christmas, comes from. And it comes from God talking through the prophet Isaiah saying that God himself will give a gift. And so this very familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 tells us about where giving comes from. It says these words, For unto us a child is born, to us a son, say these last two words with me, is given. Do you understand that Jesus was not simply born, Jesus was given? Many children are born. Jesus was born as a gift. This is why earlier when we lit the love candle, the verse read was, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. His one and only son. Giving and all the stuff, if we go far enough back behind the practice of giving, you will find a generous God who says, I want to now give to you Not one gift, but we're going to see four gifts and actually five from the verse that we just read plus one more verse at the end. You say, what are these four gifts that we read? Well, we get it from the titles of Jesus in the next part of this verse. Notice what it says. And he, the son, this child, this Jesus, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Friends, I want to show you this morning the gifts God gives to you through the names that Jesus is given here. First thing you need to know is that in the ancient world, when you would announce a king, they would often announce a king using multiples of four or four titles. So this may be simply an announcement using a familiar process to announce that this boy is not simply a boy who will grow big, but he is the king, not just a king, but the king. And so God's first gift to you and to me is that he is a wonderful counselor who shows us how to live. 
He comes not simply to say, do this or don't do that, but he walks with us. He shows us. He teaches us how to live. We're told that Jesus came. He dwelt in the flesh, in the world, and he showed us in living color what it meant to follow and live fully as God intended. Uh, Some centuries later, There's a man named David, and he writes the psalm, and he speaks to who God will be and the character. And he says in Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Now notice, he's not watching what you do to hit you. He's watching because he loves you. He is the Father who sees where you're going and helps maneuver you so you will be where you need to be, become who you are are supposed to become. Now notice what this text does not say. It does not say that he is focused on showing you what not to do. And yet, if you grew up like I did, most of what we heard as Christians was all about what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go here. Don't do there. And we would talk about all the things we're not doing. Well, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And we would come to church on Sundays and celebrate how we did nothing that week. But he doesn't focus on what not to do. He focuses on what to do. Gang, following Jesus is not about avoiding. It is about following, about doing what God has called us to do. And he says, I will show you. But notice also, he doesn't just say, I'm going to show you what is good and what is evil. Right? Because most of us, if you've been alive for more than five minutes, you've probably figured out the basics of what is good and evil, correct? Like, for instance, is it good or is it evil to murder someone? All right, that's a little disconcerting. We, uh, let, let's try that one more time here. Just Even if you don't believe it, just play with me here. Is it good or evil to murder people? Evil. Is it good or evil to rob a bank? Is it good or evil to cheat on your taxes? Is it good or evil to cheat on your spouse? Okay, so we kind of got it dialed in, what is good and evil. Friends, I don't simply need to know what is good or evil, right or wrong. I need to know what is wise. That's a completely different level of counsel. Because you can tell me black or white, but what about dealing with a specific situation that the Bible does not address specifically? I need someone to show me how to live well. I need someone to show me the wise way to lead and raise children to love God and know God in a culture that scoffs at that idea. Do you need that kind of wisdom? I need wisdom to know how do I manage finances? How do I do it in a godly way, especially when times are tough? Do you need that kind of wisdom? And I need wisdom to know how to live for Jesus unapologetically, In a culture that is now very much post-Christian, do you need that kind of wisdom? He says, I will give you the gift of a counselor. You call on me and I will teach you. I will show you how to go. And some of us were going, yeah, that would be a miracle to know how to navigate the waters. Well, guess what? Good news. If you were in need of a miracle when it comes to counseling, he is offering it. You say, how's that? That word wonderful? It's the Hebrew word pele, which can be translated miracle or miraculous. He is the miracle-providing counselor who will help you find the way through the path. The first gift you get this year is the wonderful counselor. Did you see the second one, though? He is the mighty 
God. El Gabor in Hebrew. He is the mighty God. Not simply wise enough to tell you how to go. Powerful enough to get you there. See, I don't simply need someone who can tell me the directions. I need someone who can clear the path. Don't you? Listen, I've tried. All I end up with is falling off the cliff or a bloodied head from running into the wall. I need one who's able to clear the path not simply one to point the way. He is the one who tells you, and he is the one who leads you. This is why we are given this beautiful promise from Jesus. He says, with man, this is impossible, Matthew 19, 26, but with God, all things are possible. He is the mighty God who makes the impossible possible. I don't know if you're dealing with a family situation. You say, it is not a possibility on my strength that we reconcile here. God says, the gift I want to give is the power to reconcile. Some of you this morning, you say, what I desperately need is the power to overcome this addiction or this pattern of behavior that is destructive. And he says, on your own, you cannot, but I can do it for you and I will help you. See, I don't just need someone who can point the way. I need someone who can make the way. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. And did you see that third one? Everlasting Father. He is the everlasting Father who gives you and me a family. And I know this word father, it's so loaded for a lot of us in this room. For some of you, you grew up and you just had a dad that you go, man, he didn't live up to what I wished. Or I didn't even know my dad. Or I wish I didn't know my dad because he was so toxic. And for some of you, you hear this and you just kind of push away from it. And then there's others in here. You go, my dad was wonderful. He was amazing. But get this, even the best dad will one day die. And so we're given this promise of a father who will not fail you and one who will never leave you. One who will always be present no matter what comes And he says, everlasting Father, he will bring you into relationship. He's not some impersonal force. He is a personal God. And going beyond that, it doesn't just refer to a father figure. This phrase, referring to a king, refers to an ideal king. It would actually be used to speak of certain kings. This is the ideal king. He is an everlasting Father. What makes him ideal like that? He provides for the kingdom. He cares for the kingdom. You have one who will counsel you, who empowers you, and one who loves you so much that he will protect you because he loves you. You say, Josh, I don't feel very protected. Do you know what's happened to me? You don't know the situation. You don't know what happened. There's no way that there's a God who loves me enough. And and all I would say is, we probably need to talk some more. But at the base of the base of the base, here's what you do need to know. You would not be here right now if it were not for that God providing for you. You say, but I'm heartbroken. I'm just barely hanging on. But you are. Because he is a loving God who will empower you and who will take care of you through this. And then then there's this, this fourth one. He's a prince of peace. The gift of counsel, of power, of family, and peace. Don't show your hands, but how many of us just wish we could have the peace that passes understanding all the time? That when you watch the news, you don't get anxious. When you think about the world your kids are going into, you don't get worried. When you think about this particular situation at work or with your spouse, you don't just kind of tense up. 
How would it feel to know that there is a God who could give peace that literally passes your ability to comprehend it? Like, I can think of some pretty wild things, and for him to say this peace is bigger than that. But notice, being the Prince of Peace who comforts you in the chaos, there's a caveat to that title. Yes, peace, but notice this word, Prince. A prince, let's talk about this for just a quick moment. A prince is one who is the sovereign ruler over an area or a kingdom, we would say. So, ruling over geography, correct? You got a prince. Jesus, when he came on the scene, his favorite thing to talk about was the kingdom of heaven. In fact, when he taught his followers to pray, what does he say? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth, as it is where? In heaven. In other words, why would we have to pray for it if it already happened automatically? There is a kingdom that is available, but not, hear me now, it is not automatic. We have the choice to live within the boundaries of the kingdom of peace, where Jesus is ruler. But friends, hear me. When you step outside of the boundaries of his kingdom, when you choose to do things your way and come out from under his protection, don't be surprised if the world falls apart. But he says, so long as you come under my rule and stay within the kingdom that I have established, I promise to give you peace upon peace upon peace that will guard, as Paul the Apostle writes, your heart, what you feel, and your mind, what you think. Now, I know when we talk about this, some of you go, well, how in the world can I come into the kingdom of peace? What does this mean to enter into this? How do I get that gift? And here's the beautiful thing about it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. In fact, you know how you get this gift. You simply do what Jesus did. Very first thing Jesus did before he went on into his ministry teaching and preaching, very first thing he does is he goes into the Jordan River and he is baptized. And then he says, you follow me into this beautiful moment. Now why was Jesus baptized? Was it because he was evil? No. Did he need salvation? No. He says he did it to fulfill all righteousness. For you and me to be right in God's sight. That's what righteous means. We follow Jesus. And if you want to enter into the kingdom of peace, to rejoice and enjoy the gifts of God, this is your first step. But friend, it's not your last step. In fact, there's one more gift God wants to give through Jesus Christ. And he tells us this just two chapters earlier. But before we go there, I need to sort of set the table here. I'm now 40 years old, which is a weird thing to say. Some of you say, well, that's young. Others say, that's old. And I just go, well, I don't know what to think about it. But here's what I do know. Over the past 40-some years of, or 40 years of gift receiving, I've received a number of neat gifts. Some really, really cool ones and, and some maybe less amazing. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you just a chance. Play with me here for a second. Go ahead and talk to someone. I want you to share with someone one of the best gifts you have ever received. Okay, you got your instructions. You have about 15, 20 seconds. Real quick, share. Best gift you've ever received.
Okay. Someone shouted out, what's one of the best gifts you've ever received? Jesus. That is such a good answer in church. Good job, kids. Man. I almost feel like I can't ask for another example right now after that one. But let's pretend. Someone else. What's another one? Vacation. Where to? The Bahamas. That's a good gift. Someone else. Another good gift. Nintendo Switch. Absolutely. Someone else. What? A hoverboard. I thought you said a hover boy, and I didn't know what that was. Okay, a hoverboard. Here's what you need to know. I've received maybe four or five gifts over the past 40 years that I still remember vividly. I remember receiving uh, you know, uh, the Nintendo system. I remember that one vividly. I remember getting my first pair of rollerblades. In fact, I found them before Christmas morning, and I got them out and I rode around the house in them and then put them back. Do not tell my mother, okay? She's still t- terrifying. Okay, now, now, here's what I want you to know, though. Of all the gifts I've received, I can only count on one hand the number of them that I still remember. But do you know what I still remember vividly? Are the people in the room. You ask me, where was your dad sitting? I can tell you where my father sits every year. You say, where's your mom? I can tell you where my mom, who's called Granby now, sits. She used to sit on this little step stool in front of the tree, and she'd hand out the gifts. Now that there are so many people, she can't sit there. She has to go off to the side now to hand out gifts. I can tell you about my older sister, Megan, who she was such an emotional, sweet person. sort of made you sick sometimes, just a really nice person. And so whenever she'd get a gift, she'd open it. She'd go, oh, this oh, and then she'd get up and she'd hug you. And then she'd hug someone else just because she was hugging people. And she'd take so much time. And then we couldn't get to the gifts. And I'm still bitter about it. But the point is, <laughs> I remember the people. And you remember the people, don't you? And my guess is you also remember the people who weren't there. Who should have been there. Or you remember the people who were there, but because they passed, they're not there now. And you just go, oh. And you can go, that's the gift I want. If I could have any gift, it would be them. And this is why I don't know how to say this to you in a way that is not some sort of cliche where you roll your eyes and go, yeah, that's just the Christian thing to say. But hear me now. Of all the gifts of counsel, of power, of this God who protects, of peace, the fifth gift is in Isaiah chapter 7 where God, through the prophet, says these words. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. And we have to go a few hundred years later to this moment where an angel appears to this little girl named Mary. And he says, young lady, God loves you. You are highly favored. His very son is going to be born through you. And then Matthew, the author, to explain what has just happened, tells us all of this took place to fill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Who? Isaiah, the one we've just read. And he says this, quoting Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. For anyone who is lonely this year, hear these words, which means God with us. I will give you counsel if you'll just ask. I will empower you to do what you cannot do on your own. 
I will protect you as a loving father. And yes, I will give you peace, but more than that, I will give you my very self. God with us. Oh, in a world that says no to God, how we desperately need God with us. That around the tree, around all the gifts, if we could have God with us, how would that change everything? And so here's what I would invite you to do this year as you begin to open those gifts, as you begin to go, oh, it's wonderful. It's what I always wanted. Would you peel back the layers and see the one who is given to us long before the first present was opened? And the promise that God says, no matter what else you get, I'm with you. But I don't know that God loves me for what I've done, Josh. And I've done so many things, and how, how could he love me? And so the words come back to us again. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. This is the gift you need.